you taking the time, and please do that throughout the course of the week as the Lord leads. Um, you know, we, we ought not to um, neglect that in our day-to-day prayer time. You know, it's easy to seek for the things we need, and at times it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's so much more needful to pray for others, and um, just pray for them, and continue to pray, and um, it's been a good week. We were away at, um, at Young Adult Retreat and had a great time there with our young adults, just um, having good conversations, just some healthy fun, and uh, just able to teach the Word of God. So a great, great group. We're really looking forward to what the Lord will do through them. And um, as uh, Brother Phil mentioned, the, the um, kids had their breakup at uh, Urban Extreme and had a great time there. And, you know, they, they may not have gotten me to go up on the, the warp wall, but they got Brother Phil to do it, all right? And I'll tell you, he, he didn't fail. He, he got over that wall. So I was pretty impressed. I'm not sure how his uh, girls felt. I think they felt a bit nervous seeing him go up there. But we had a great time. Uh, a great number of kids came, for the, I think, for the first time in the year. But hopefully we can make some, um, some good connections there. And then I know that the young people had their Omni night, and you might not know what that is. It's an all-nighter, all right? And so they, they stayed up. Um, I think that the young people were okay. I'm not sure about the Barneses and uh, all the like, but um, I'm glad that, the, that they had a great time from all reports, and um, it's good to just finish off the year well and, um, and looking forward to what the Lord will do with our, with our young people and, and everything else that's happening. And... Um, this morning, thanks for praying. Just had a great, a great time at New Beginnings, and I'm glad to see them here tonight. But they had, um, they had, I think, 22 first-time visitors. So praise the Lord for that. Had a big day and four baptisms. I'm always rejoicing when God's work is going forward, anywhere. And so we're glad for that, and, and glad for the marshals and the work that God's doing through them. And so uh, good to be here tonight. And did miss the church, but looking forward to um, just spending the time together in the Word tonight. And so we looked at Galatians chapter 5 in our Bible reading, and we know that we're covering the spiritual fruit, and we're now just pausing and really thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we saw in the first place, really, that this can only be born out of being submitted to the Spirit of God, understanding that, that we have to be completely surrendered for, for the, the Spirit of the the fruit of the Spirit to be uh, produced in our lives. And we looked at the first three last week, love, joy, and peace. And we looked at uh, the fact that it's, it's God's love that is shed abroad and understanding God's love and, and the capacity to love is only um, enabled if we would just walk in the Spirit and understanding the kind of love that, that, that God showed to a lost world uh, is, is the kind of love that that he's, um, he's producing in our lives as we are filled with the Spirit. We spoke about the fact that joy is another uh, flavor of the fruit, and joy is that, uh, that, that inner um, joy to, to go through regardless of the circumstance. And um, really, it's, it's, it's evidenced by a, thankful, uh, a thankfulness in our lives. And then we spoke about peace, how um, peace is that, um, that, uh, that, that quietness in our soul when, um, when the circumstances are, are, uh, 
are against us and understanding that, again, it's the, the, the peace that God gives us that passes all understanding. And, you know, sometimes we observe people who go through situations like, um, like what we, we prayed about tonight, health situations, and there's a, there's a calmness about them, a quietness about them, and that's just the, the peace that comes in the fruit of spirit. And so we're going to continue on, and the next fruit is long-suffering, all right, long-suffering. And I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll get started there. But just by way of, um, of defining that in, in Webster's Dictionary, it's long-suffering is bearing injuries or provocate, uh, provo- provocation for a long time. Um, it's being patient, being not easily provoked. And so bearing injuries or provocation for a long time. You know, um, it's quite evident really when you think about the word long-suffering, what it means, it's suffering long. All right, and, and I don't think any of us here would like to suffer at all. If we had the choice about the way we want to live our lives, we don't want to go through any kind of suffering. You know, suffering is, is something that is always generally viewed in the negative, let alone long-suffering a continual suffering um, for, for the things of the Lord. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, and we'll read a couple of verses here. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. He says here, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So he says there that, that there's this um, understanding that long-suffering has much to do with God's willingness to suffer long with the wicked. Right? So we see that it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a godly trait that is produced in us. This long-suffering has much to do with God's willingness to suffer long with the wicked. And you think about all of the wickedness from the from the beginning of the world till now, and and you 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 would say, Lord, why don't you just judge the world? And in fact, the the fifth seal, when it was opened, Revelation chapter six, those who were slain for the word of God and the testimony of Christ, they're calling out, "How long? How long?" And you know, we as believers, we look at our, our time, we look at the the nature of, of humanity, and we could look at all of history, and we look at where it is currently and where it is pointing towards, and we look at all of that, and you understand that, that in all honesty, God could have already judged the world. In fact, he did in Noah's time, but even then, he suffered long with them. Even then, he sent Noah, a preacher of righteousness, for an extra 120 years to preach a way for them to, uh, to, to avoid the catastrophe that the flood was. That's how long-suffering our God is. And can I just remind you tonight, you ought to be thankful about that. Because if it were not for the long-suffering of, of God, none of us here would be saved. All, all of us here could have, could have just been easily, if it wasn't long-suffering, been, been put straight into damnation. But because of the long-suffering of Christ, it says there, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You know, the only reason we're saved here tonight, if you are saved, is because God had long-suffering to us, Word. That's the reality of it. You know, we, we didn't make a special case in front of, Christ, in front of God. None of us here uh, has any merit before the Lord. 
No, all of that was accordingly to his long suffering. And, and again, Noah, you know, God waited and waited. He sent him for 120 years. And in, in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's attitude to humanity. He, he's long suffering. And, and maybe you're wondering, well, how long is God going to wait? And, you know, I often wonder about that personally. I think about the fact that the way things are going with the world, I wonder about how my kids are going to go. You know, I wonder what kind of world my kids are going to live in in, in, in 20 years' time. But I, I know this, that as, as we wait and as we look, it's all because of God's long-suffering. You know why? Because He still wants people to be saved. He's still giving people time to repent and get right. And that's an amazing thing. And, and again, sometimes we don't view it in this way where we're a recipient of that, of his long suffering. In Romans 2.4 even, he says, Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. He's saying even the goodness of God, it's, it's all about the long suffering that he's shown. I, I think about the fact that, you know, that, that, there are still those that we're, we're praying for, for salvation. There are those that perhaps if we were to go around in the room and, and write down every person we know that we would love to see get saved. And if we were just to take the time tonight to pray over that, it'll be a long time. But then even longer than that is the, is the long suffering of Christ, of God, to wait on those and to wait until everyone... And it's an amazing thing to, to think about that we are the, really the beneficiaries of that as God's people. And don't ever forget that. You know, don't ever forget and, and thank God for His long suffering, but that's a fruit of the Spirit. That's meant to be born in us. And for us, it's the Christ-likeness to suffer along with those that are doing wickedly and are unrepentant even when given goodness. You know, that, that happened to several of God's people in um, in, in his word, look at, look at Jeremiah chapter 15. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15. And, you know, uh, many of you, you would say, well, if I was God, this, the judgment would already come. Well, I'm thankful you're not God. Right? But this is meant to be something that is being produced in us as, as part of the fruit of the Spirit. And he's saying here in, in Jeremiah chapter 15, notice Jeremiah's attitude. He says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me. And revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. You know, he was recognizing about God that he, was, he wanted God's judgment on this hard, uh, hard, um, hard people. They were, they, were re, they were persecuting him for uh, preaching righteousness. And he's saying, you know, take not away in thy long suffering. He understood, though, that he, it was God's long-suffering that he was appealing to. And then he says in verse 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing on mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And he recognizes who God is. He recognizes that he's a God that's long-suffering. And, and yet here Jeremiah had to go through that long-suffering himself. As God was holding, withholding through his long-suffering, Jeremiah had to show long-suffering. 
Jeremiah was actually the one enduring, you know, on the ground level here on earth as one of his prophets. And, and you know, all of us here, if we're sort of attuned to, uh, to the, the realities of the world, we understand that there, there's just a great darkness. We understand the time that we live in, and, and it would make sense in many ways. We go, why didn't God judge us now, judge this world now? Listen, it's his long suffering, and we're supposed to show that too. We're supposed to be long-suffering. You know, many times um, as, 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 as people go through this life and they're going through this observation of how the world is, sometimes that discourages them. Sometimes they're discouraged because they're disgusted about the things of the world and soon enough they get on, uh, on, on tangents and they get on, on causes that aren't really God's causes. And you know what they're showing they're actually showing a lack of submission to the Spirit. They're not long-suffering. They're not, they're, not they're not just enduring for the, for the fact that God is enduring with them. We see this even in the life of the Apostle Paul. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if we were to think about a New Testament, um, a New Testament example of this, someone who uh, is not Christ, but someone who is a Christian like all of us are here this evening, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and notice what he says to, Paul says to Timothy, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. And he, he goes on and he says persecutions. That's suffering, isn't it? Afflictions. Then he names some specific places where all of that went about, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou. In the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And he's saying there, you know, Timothy, you've seen in my own life the long suffering that I've had to have. You know, if you think about uh, Paul, he, Paul made a, a great amount of enemies. He was the, the faithful persecutor, now converted to be the, the faithful uh, propagator of the gospel. He was given uh, a certain office that really he was the. Um, he, he was one born out of season. He, he was to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And, and here he was. He, he went through a great deal, and we won't take the time, but you can chronicle right through the book of Acts all that Paul went through after his con conversion. And you look at some of the things he spoke about, times where he was perplexed beyond measure, times when he was, uh, he was uh, in peril by sea, by beasts, all of these things that Paul went through, you know what it was, the, what, what he was demonstrating? The fruit of the Spirit, the flavor of long-suffering. You know, many of us, we would, for, for a little bit of persecution, would suddenly be discouraged or suddenly deny. You know, how many of us, maybe in the workplace, at one point we had our Bibles open and we would read boldly and then one word... We suffer a little bit of persecution and suddenly, Bible's away. I'll just, I'll just read it on my phone. 
you know, it's not as bold. You know what that is? It, the, the ability for us to, in, to endure that, that long suffering, is our submission to the Spirit of God. You wander through, and you could read historical accounts like the Fox's Book of Martyrs, how those men and women who were even at the stake, they endured persecution. Even in times when it was illegal to preach in the name of Christ, you think about those in the early church who were, were burned at Nero's circus and all of those that suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. And here we are in modern day. And still the fruit of Spirit includes this long-suffering. I wonder how much long-suffering we have as we endure the times when we suffer for the name of Christ. I wonder if we would demonstrate that, but it can only be produced, that spiritual, that, that fruit of the Spirit, the flavor of it of long-suffering, if we would just submit ourselves wholly to the Spirit of God, of understanding that he needs to, we need to be submitted to Him. And so we see that the, the next fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And then I want you to note the next one. Notice this gentleness. Gentleness. Now that's not a word we would often you know, use in, in that way. Gentleness, it simply means this. Again, according to Noel Webster's dictionary, softness of manners, a mildness of temper, a sweetness of disposition. And, uh, you know, we often use the, the word, or maybe we don't often, we somewhat use the word, to be a gentleman. Right? We, don't, we don't teach our men to be gentlemen anymore. But that idea of a gentleman, it just sim see, it simply means to be raised from vulgar, to be, to be well-born or belong to a good family. You know, we use it in a way where you're, you're teaching good or right manners, Right? And that's what we call a gentleman. We see someone who's raised from maybe, maybe obscurity or roughness to someone who, has, who is well accounted for. And, and that's, that's really the idea. Okay, and, and think about that. Think about that. that. That's really us. You understand, prior to salvation, all of us are sinners saved by grace. Right? All of us, were, was vulgar. In, in the sight of God, we were as filthy rags even. And you understand that God saved us from that into a life of, of, of um, not, not softness or wimpy, but gentleness like Christ. To, to have that understanding, a mildness of temper, a softness of manner, to be well-born, belonging to a good family. And by the way, we belong to a good family for saved. That's a good family. And we ought, to, we ought to account well for our family name. And that's the idea of being gentle. All right? We, we see it in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice just one verse here, verse 1. And this is Paul describing Really, a, a, a trait of Christ. Now, I, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. And, you know, um, he, he's saying, you know, it's in me, in Paul, 
But he's saying, no, it, it was in, in meekness and gentleness in Christ. He saw in the Lord Jesus the gentleness of Jesus. And you think about that, you, you can't say tonight that, that Jesus was wimpy. You think about the, how Jesus was raised, right? Uh, the, the Bible says there was nothing about him that we would have been physically, we said, oh, he's the son of God. But you think about the upbringing he had. He was, he was born in a manger, but into a carpenter's home. <laughs> you think about that, he didn't have the power tools like we do today. Okay, no offense to the chippies today, but, you know, they didn't have power tools back in the day. They, 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 they physically labored a lot harder. So you, you imagine the, the strength, the physicality of the Lord Jesus, right? He wasn't, he wasn't not strong. He was strong, but he was also gentle. There were times where he said, suffer not the little children to come to me. He had a gentleness about, about him. And it's, it's accounted for there as Paul describes the Lord Jesus. Then look at Titus chapter 3. Look at Titus chapter 3. It also also be inherent in uh, those who are, who are uh, serving Christ. Look at Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. To obey magistrates, to be ready for every good, to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And you know, I, I've, sometimes you have um, really preachers who, they're just, they're, just there's, there's, they're harsh. <laughs> and there seems to be everything that comes out of their mouth is just harsh. It's hard. And sometimes we need a, a, the just the hard truth of God's word. But we're meant to do so in a gentle way as well. And it doesn't have to be that, that whilst we all probably have a temper, it doesn't mean that we just flame it out every time. And, you know, the, this, is, uh, this is an area that I'm often convicted about, you know, in, in what way? When I'm speaking to my children. <laughs> I want to discipline my children. I want to sometimes fly off the handle and deal with it. But you know what the, the Bible reminds me about? The fruit of the Spirit is, is gentleness. I've, sometimes I, it's, it's, a, it's a fruit of Spirit to be mild in my temper. We see also it's meant to be in God's servants. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And notice verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. All right, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. But it starts off there, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Now to... To his servants, he's saying, be gentle. And look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Notice verses 14 to 17. 
says, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. He's saying bitter envying, strife. He says, glory not. That kind of wisdom is earthly. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So they're saying if you're the type of person that causes strife, it just seems to be that there's bitter envying in your hearts. Don't glory in that. That kind of wisdom is earthly wisdom. All right, then he goes, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Then he says gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And notice again all of this language about fruit, but mixed in that, this kind of wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle. You know, I wonder, I wonder in times when there's a bit of conflict in our lives, how we treat that. You know, we like to return serve in kind, don't we? Right? If someone fires off at us, we'll fire back. But you know what that is? It's not demonstrating any kind of fruit of the Spirit there. Because part of the fruit of Spirit is gentleness. Approaching that. Uh, in First in Thessalonians chapter 2, turn there. No, notice how Paul himself, in, his, in the way he led and addressed the church. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. It says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Notice a tenderness there, but... He says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Think about, you think about uh, the picture of a, a mother with a newborn. There's no roughness there. There's no, there's no flying off the handle. You know, when we see that, it's, we deem it abuse. But when you look at that, he's saying, no, it's meant to be, you're meant to be gentle as a nurse. It's meant to be that gentleness that is... is meant to be inherent in us and Paul's example and think about it again he was mighty in word right and Paul had some pretty hard things to say to certain groups of people and yet here he was he was saying you know we were gentle among you he was a type of person Paul was who was filled with the fruit of the spirit he came gently he although he had authority he had strength he came with a gentleness. It, took, it takes skill to do that. You know, it takes skill. You think about, I think about a chef who has a sharp knife. And, um, you know, for a little while, when I, was, uh, when I was 16, 17, every year during the Royal Easter show, I would get a job as a, in the kitchen, preparing all of the meals and all of that. And, and they entrusted me with a knife, a really sharp knife. And it takes skill. It takes a bit of... Uh, practice and it takes a bit of gentleness but there's strength there and, and you know uh, 
I think of an example of that in, in David. Look at Psalm 18. Look at Psalm 18. And verses 33 to 35. And um, David here writing speaks about the fact that you know, he's a warrior. And he says in verse 33, He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. It's not a wimp. It's not a soft guy. Right? We often equate gentleness to softness. He wasn't a soft guy. He, he could break the bow with his arms. Now, I was thinking of attempting that, but I couldn't find a bow of steel this week. Verse 35, he says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. And notice the last line, and thy gentleness hath made me great. You know what was present in the life of David? As much as he was a man of war and God taught him how to be a man of war. He was also a man who possessed the gentleness of God. We see might and gentleness can coexist but it can only be given by the Lord. It can only be when we understand His nature, but also we see that working in our lives, that He gives us that might and gentleness. It can coexist. He says, And thy gentleness hath made me great. I think about the many times where, where David was on the run for his life, and he had the, those times where he could have, could have taken vengeance on Saul. And, and no doubt at that point he could have, just sliced through Saul. But often, what, what did he do that one time in the cave? He just took a piece of his garment. You know what that, I think, speaks about in, in the life of David is that gentleness. And by the way, he's a shepherd, isn't he? And the shepherd is, is gentle with his flock. He's able to discipline. He's able to correct and lead, but he's also gentle. And there's a, there's a great picture there of, of that balance. So he says, you have taught my hands to war, but you've also, thy gentleness hath made me great. That's what set David apart, was his gentleness. And then lastly, really quickly, we'll look at a third fruit, but the next one is goodness. Okay, goodness, according to Webster, is a state of being good. The physical qualities which constitute value, excellence, or perfection the moral qualities which constitute Christian excellence, moral virtue, and religion. You know, Jesus was known as one who did good. And goodness, though, isn't just doing right. It's also desiring and actioning what is most excellent. And we'll, we'll look at a couple of verses in a bit. And, you know, if, um, if, if we were to leave Malachi home with his sister... Uh, often we'd tell him, Malachi, don't pick on your sister. All right? And if he does, you know what he is? He would be righteous. If he does that, he follows my instruction, don't pick on your sister. He would be righteous in that. But if he goes beyond and treats her with kindness, 
if he goes and says, hey, Vicky, I'm going to make you breakfast and gets, her, gets the table set up, gets her favorite cereal because, you know, that's the only thing Malachi knows how to cook right now. So he'll get the cereal, he'll put it in a bowl and get, get her favorite type of milk and then sits her down and, and, and treats her that way. You know what he would be? He would be good. I would go, you're a good boy. And that's the difference between righteousness and goodness. Okay, goodness goes beyond. Goodness meets the need. And, and uh, the, the Bible says to us that we ought to do good to those who despitefully use us. Um, you think about the, the account of, of the creation in Genesis chapter 1. You know, over and over again, God said that it was good. And creation was good because through it, God met every need of mankind. Okay, it wasn't just existing, it was life. You know, if, if he just wanted man to exist, then he could have just left him there and all of the, all of the provisions of the, the garden and so forth. He, he didn't have to do all of that, but you know, because God is good and because he was showing that his creation is good, he also added all of those things that provided for the needs of mankind. He went beyond, if you think about it. You know, we, we sometimes look at that as, as basic human right. No, no, God didn't have to do that. He, he could have just said, look, uh, man exists. But he put his breath in him. He did all of that to prepare conditions. He even looked at man and said, look, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to create for him a help fitting meat. A companion, he, he, he understood man's very need and he did all of that. Why? Because he's good. He's not just righteous. And we see that. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. And um, here, really, uh, Nehemiah is referring to the fact that for 40 years he sustained them and then they finally entered into the promised land. So in verse 24, the children went in and possessed the land and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. Notice verse 25, and they took strong cities and a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and oliveyards, fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. You know, when they went into the promised land, they had all of the cities set up for them already. They, they, they had to do some things to do it, but when they came in, all of it was set up already. You know, and then he says, that's your goodness. God went beyond. He didn't just make sure they got there. He also made sure he, they were provided for. That's goodness. Okay, he was righteous to get him there, but he was good in providing all of that. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And there's a, there's, there's a point of difference he, he makes here. You know, he, he'll mention two things and we often equate them as the same, but he'll, he's, God is specific in his words, is he not? And he says in verse 9, Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. 
So he's separating righteousness, goodness, and then there's a third one, truth, but we're focusing on goodness. So righteousness and goodness, they're not the same thing. He's saying there that, that actually we can be righteous but not good. And the difference is the, the, the Holy Ghost is making here, it is through Christ and through walking in the Spirit, we can be both. We can be righteous you know, in, in calling out the, the wickedness and, and living right in our own lives, but we're good when we reach out and bless them despite the fact. When, when we're going about, and you know, sometimes we only do favors or only do well with those who are brethren, but we're just meant to be like Christ. We're just meant to do good. You know, it's not a bad thing to get to know your neighbor and try to be a blessing to them. Right, to avoid them under the guise of separation, that's just you trying to be righteous. But to be a blessing to them, that's you being good. That's goodness. And, and goodness, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's a flavor. And you know, often we stop at righteousness, but, but God saying, we're going beyond that. I'm trying to tell you, be good. Be good. And, and, you know, how much more? I think of, of people in the past, God's people, who just did, did well and then were righteous to call out sin, but they were good to be a blessing to their communities. You know, how much more of a difference would Good Shepherd Baptist Church make if we just went beyond and not just called out the sinner, but we were just good? We were just trying to be a blessing to whoever we, we met along the way. And it was good tonight that we, we prayed. It was good that we sought the Lord, but there's so much more that we can do. And that's what goodness is. There's a, there's a, there's a greater motivation, not just to do right, but to go beyond that, be good. And, and so we see tonight there's those three flavors, three parts of the, the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, Right, long-suffering, suffering long, gentleness, understanding again that might and gentleness can coexist, and then goodness. I wonder what kind of goodness we can display this week. I wonder what kind of long-suffering do we need to uh, embody this week in our lives, and then I wonder what gentleness we can show to others. And in doing that, we're, we're seeing spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And then next week, we're going to Hopefully, Lord willing, just finish off. We're going to see faith, meekness, and temperance. And it'd just be good to, to again, surrender ourselves. And again, this, these aren't some things we need to work ourselves up to do. These will come out as we walk in the Spirit. Because we read earlier in Galatians chapter 5, there's that humbleness and that walking with the Spirit that we're meant to have. All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll be done tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are, we just are in awe of all the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit that embodies, is embodied in you, Lord. And I'm just, just amazed that you are a God. Amazed at the fact that, Lord, you're long-suffering to us, Lord. Amazed at the fact, dear God, that you're, you're gentle to us. Lord, often when, when, Lord, we deserve just harshness and rebuke, you, you, you do, do so gently, gently with your still small voice. And Lord, I think about the fact that you're just good. And Lord, you, you go beyond 
just being righteous, Lord, you're, you're good to us. You're a good God. So help us, dear Lord, to be like you in that way this, this week. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to humble ourselves before you, Lord, and then see these things in our lives so that we can just be a blessing, Lord, to you, most of all, dear God, that we might glorify you. But then in our families, Lord, in our church, in our community, I pray that you would just help us to be that way. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.